I am unashamed. What about you? All right, welcome back to Unashamed. I'm still out here with Zach, the Eastern Lair, um, out here in North Carolina. So we, uh, we, in the overtime of the last episode, we completely went off the rails, mm. which happens sometimes. I think it was Jason's fault, if I recall. Was he the one that took us there? I don't know. I don't know who started it, but it was the most awkward fifteen <laughs> minutes that we've had in the history. Which means of the probably ocean. people will love it <clears throat> more than anything else we've ever done. And or hate Jace it. Jace had, or hate it. I'm sure that too. Jace had an idea about a new Olympics, and we were supposed to talk about the Hannah and Mary song, and we never got there because of Jace's sound, human sound Olympics. Uh, I think some of us finished off with a. Perfect sneeze. That was unplanned. <laughs> no, that's what I'm uh, saying. People unplanned. in our cult, in our in human society, if you sneeze, they say bless you. If you break wind, they say curse you. Well, which <laughs> is it? Both things can can be and are uncontrollable. That's it. I was built like this, and so I'm saying you you can't take yourself so seriously. You realize that. A sense of humor is something that we were created with. So if you're not exercising that gift, that's on you. So, no, it all came from when I said we should put a couch, we should move the couch over here on camera, and if someone wants to take a nap, they can. And y'all said, well, we have a snoring problem because we haven't (laughs) been eating enough salad or whatever it was y'all said. We're big people and we snore and we're getting older. And uh, so that, so I said, I'd had this dark, lonely thought for years that I thought, you know, you could spice up the Olympics. I think every nation should send representatives of bodily sounds. And Al gave a perfect example. My I child- actually had a couple of illustrations. Yeah. Yep. My childhood memories were filled with us gathering around the fire at my grandparents' house and listening to them snore. It was like synchronized snoring. And we laughed and we laughed. It was just, it was actually a thing of beauty. Because one, my grandpa was, he kind of set the tone. And then my grandma would be. Yeah, she had a You know, what's interesting is that the animal world, uh, we've been around dogs, hunting dogs, guard dogs. The dogs, they, they, they don't snore, but they do sneeze. Yeah. Dogs are <laughs> prone to sneezing. And is it always funny? It's always funny. It's and, always funny. And, but, and interestingly enough, I've never had a dog, I don't think, that snored. No, I do. I, I, well, I'm a lot of dog sneezes. Usually stuff get it done. I have a dog that snores. Is that right? Yeah. The little Hazel. Now, she is rotund, Al, to your, you and Zach's point. The, the the only dog I've ever heard snore had, had put on a few LBs as well. So, yeah, she snores. So, you could safely say in the animal world and the human world, it's sneezing and snoring. It's a, and the breaking of wind. Yeah, yep. breaking of wind. Sound. Oh, it's happened. It's yep. always funny. But in, in our civilized, they're probably not going to do that, but I guarantee people would watch. I mean, you just think, you represent your country. They would. They would watch. Oh, that show Synch- was coming as soon as you mentioned that. Synchronized <laughs> snoring. Uh, Dad says break- it's, it's a thing. It's happening. Whether we think, produce it or not, it's happening. I think the sneezing, I mean, people. We went treasure hunting, you know, but we're still passing gas. It happens. I yeah. mean, it, it happens. That's but you're right. Sneezing is another one, and that's unique to people. Because I've heard people with the tiniest little kerchew sneeze that's like, it's almost like, is that a, are you doing that on purpose? Like, is that a real sound? Yeah. To what Zach well, did at the end of the podcast, which was just basically I watched dad jump in his chair. Did it scare you? dad was Zach. Well, my wife was trained in that yeah, em- I mean, environment where you don't do these unsocial sounds that are natural. If you had tried and, to coach him into make a noise that sounds like a sneeze, you couldn't have done it. No. 
So what I was going to say there is my wife. There was a real sneeze it, after talking about sneezes for 15 minutes. <laughs> it took me 30 years to tell my wife. I was like, quit trying to stop it. Because so when my wife sneezes, she she had, I see it coming on. And she's trying to stop it. Because she she was raised not not just by her parents but just in, in the private Proper. school and all you yeah. you don't most you don't just time, let it go. So look, most, she most stops it, Phil. She stops it, and it comes out like this: squeak. It's a squeak, and it looks like everything in her face is just gonna explode. And I'm like, just let it out. I think you're better off to let it out. Let it out. Post sneeze a one thousand one after you sneeze. You feel a lot better. Yeah, you do. Now, whatever was in front of you doesn't feel better. <laughs> I would like to know what particular part of your body, when you before you sneeze, what's doing that? I mean, are there doctors who say this is the origin of a sneeze? Yeah, they'll give you the Because sign. I would like to know because there's you something. feel better once you sneeze. There's something that is there's right. Is it in back, your throat? Is yeah, it in back your, of the throat that they're saying nose. you must get this out? The trigger. It's but a, it seems like it's covering more ground than than just coming out of your throat. I mean, it seems well, like I mean your whole body torques up. I mean, it, it's a pretty good happening when you. It feels like a. Big, a it feel, yeah, it feels like a total like a total cleansing. Which yeah, you know, and I, yeah. when you try to, but when you try to stop it, which I have done before too in certain settings, like you, you mentioned, your wife Missy. A lot of them will sneeze and hold the sound out completely out. But well, I, I've I, done I, that, I'd much when, rather when, just sneeze. No, nah, because when, when I, I can't think of a more unnatural feeling that I've had than when I've done that. I've, I mean, it just doesn't feel right. It feels like this. We shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be holding them back. You know, you got it, no. That's I, what I'm saying. I, and so she just—I uh, think she's maybe had two, you know, unencumbered sneezes, but she just didn't feel good about it. And uh, but I thought, there you go, babe. Good. Now you should feel better. And she's like, no, I just she can't get over the embarrassment of it all. Hmm. So, so according to this, Dad, on whatever website I'm on, some medical website, sneezing is a protective reflex that developed in response to irritation of the lining of the nose. This so allows the lining of the nose is the, is the center. According the to these people. I didn't know According that. According to these people. This allows for different particles to be forcefully expelled from the nose, thus protecting the nose, the airway, and the body from harm. Ha! Mm. Huh. So, so Jay's, you, you, we shouldn't be holding back. It's medicinal. That's what I'm trying According to say. According to that definition. So I'm saying, let's push this through. The Where'd Olympic, that information come from? The Olympic. Uh, uh, medical, Medaline Plus website. So that's what I'm saying is then if you had the competition, it would make society better where people could get the sneezes out They, if they want to break wind. I mean, because you had a momentary uh, embrace of this idea when COVID happened because then everybody had masks on. So it was. You're like, why not? You Everybody's probably got mask on. ought to sneeze without anything. You'd jettison a certain amount of, if you had filmed it, it probably is a pretty pretty large. Oh, no, they have filmed it in slow motion. It's awesome. Yeah. Well, during funny. COVID, though, what happened was you, you, it became like a shameful thing to sneeze or cough in public. Yeah, and but then, breaking wind yeah. break was the most acceptable it's ever been in our culture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, that that elevated, but the because everybody had a mask. On. Everybody had yeah, a mask. You had a mask. Right. Right. I smell felt it. free. I mean, I'm, was, I'm yeah. going down through the grocery store just throwing haymakers, and nobody said a word. <laughs> <laughs> so here's another good question: since we're talking about it, why do we? And this is a good question. I've wondered this: why do we sneeze three times in a row? Because if you ever notice, most people will sneeze three times. It says I here. I don't agree with that. It can be multiple. I've sneezed. Well, like it can a be, but, but times. it's or multiple times. I say, not just three. Um, it says while a single sneeze is sometimes enough to clear whatever irritant is in your system, the triple sneeze, according to Live Sciences' Laura Gaggle, happens when we need to get deeper irritants out. I love a good triple sneeze. So that's a triple sneeze. I don't have them often, but when I do, whew. So what I'm saying is if, if we did the Olympic Games, it would be the first time in society's history 
that we actually applauded the bodily normal activity. Because, you know, you've had that you've had that moment, all of us in our life, where someone did a sneeze or breaking wind or something, where you your instinct was to applaud. Just like, wow. <laughs> I mean, that's on another level, dude. Let me just, you know, you're... Oh. So I like think slow then, clap of that. You get like the old slow clap. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, I think what well, I mean, we brought all this up to say in the in the vein of not taking ourselves so seriously and not be so embarrassed about what other people think about it. You know, it it, it I mean our whole podcast is named Unashamed, so I'm saying I mean, obviously unashamed of the gospel, a, but just, you know, who we that's are. We're, a very, that's a salient point, Jase. You're no, right. If we're going to be unashamed about our spiritual matters, why aren't we unashamed about our physical matters? I mean, uh, guess what, Al? We're flawed, stinky, loud people. Mm-hmm. I mean, we do it. silly things. So you have to, to get a sense of humor. Is, There's definitely think, an audience for this Olympics. All right. So, so before we get back to uh, the more serious discussions, I noticed – this is the second week in a row that I've been mm. only looking in, and so there's another plate of what looks like deliciousness. I don't have my glasses on, so I can't quite tell what like I didn't know this Just was going to be a thing a, here. No, I no would – uh, what kind of cookies are these? These are cowboy cookies. Now, what is so the – last ta- time it was macaroons. Now Alex has brought some cowboy cookies. These are cowboy co- cookies. That means big cookie, right? Is that like a cookie? big cookie? Well, or I Western? see pecans. I see chocolate. And I see cookie batter. It's firm to the touch. And oatmeal. Don't forget oatmeal. There's oatmeal in here, according to a voice. From the wilderness. <laughs> Voice from the wilderness. So I'm going in. I'm not sure what this experiment is. I've had a cowboy cookie, but it's been a while. And I'm not sure what this has to do with actual cowboys. Me neither. Okay. That's just They're what called, our family calls them. Okay. Some people call them nutty, oat, nutty good oatmeal cookies, but we mom, call, we've always called them cowboy cookies. Yeah, mom always called them cowboy cookies. She made them for years. Yeah. Good cookie, good? Dad? Yeah, yeah, it's good. Yeah. Phil? They're, they're chewy. They're a chewy variety. No, I'll pass. That's <laughs> 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 just, no. I don't think so. <laughs> I will not be wrangled into your shenanigans. I'll pass. <laughs> That's okay. I'm I'm unoffendable. Uh, another unoffendable. Thank goodness. Uh, what do you think? Well, I appreciate the taste tales. I'll I will take these four cookies with me. Jesus, <laughs> all you never passes. know where you know who made those. We know who made them. Alex made them. <laughs> oh, you made those. Oh, they're right. <laughs> the same one. <laughs> Dad thought she just picked them up on somewhere on the way in oh, to yeah. bit. <laughs> I don't trust some cowboy cookies. Oh man, I, did, I, I wasn't there for the ma- for the macaroons. How'd that turn out? Oh, that, that was, was fantastic. fantastic. Phil tried it. We were trying to do two things. There's that. Which he One. had the exact opposite the other day. He just popped the whole thing in his mouth the other day. He did, and then he took all the rest of them and started putting them in his pockets as he left. <laughs> so you like? Did it bring back memories? Did he remember nope. that he'd had them? He still has no memory he that, that he promoted the coconut macaroons. That was thirty years ago. You used to, I mean, that was like the number one thing you would you would send us in parts of the grocery store because you wouldn't go. But you'd say, "Get those real soft coconut macaroons." Hmm. Yep. And so they're back. Now, but you yeah. still liked him though. Did you like him, Phil? Oh, he, he loved he, them. Yeah. He loved them. Yeah, they were delicious. Yeah. Yes, it's like tasting that. So now we've we've begin for the first time. Kind we've of reintroduced it to Dad the macaroon. So so we say all that to say that we wasted a entire overtime episode, <laughs> and now <laughs> we've wasted a cold open. So Zach, you've been doing any uh, spring cleaning up there in North Carolina? Spring is upon us. Yes, I have. Matter of fact, well, I've got my kids on it at least. I've got I've got five <laughs> kids. Four, four of them are, are eligible for work, so they're. I got well, that's something it. different. Yeah, I'm handling it. Hey, kids. 
<laughs> well, when you got a brood as big as he does, you need to put them to work. I agree. Uh, we're old friends at uh, Tommy John. They said uh, if it's spring cleaning, if you don't know how old your underwear are, it's time for some new Tommy John. So I never thought about that in terms of spring cleaning, but I guess that's true. Um, we love Tommy John's, uh, great innovations, breathable, lightweight. They have moisture wicking fabric that's great for the heat, uh, which we begin to get into in Louisiana here before too long. They've sold over 20 million pairs. They have thousands of five-star reviews. They don't really have customers. They have fanatics, and I've been one for quite a while. Most comfortable boxer briefs ever. Buy one pair. You never want to wear another pair of underwear again. And so we want you to check these guys out. They have a best pair you'll ever wear. It's free, guarantee. So you can't lose uh, from giving them a shot. We all wear them. 20% off your first order at TommyJohn.com slash Phil. That's 20% off right now at TommyJohn.com slash Phil. See their site for details. All right, so we're back to more serious talk, but we got that out of our system, I hope. Um, we're in Luke chapter 1, which Luke chapter 1 is a long chapter. It's got like 80 verses in it. It is long. But um, 80, we had, exactly. Uh, yeah, we had left off by talking about Mary's song, and we had just kind of gotten into it. And so in the last podcast, Jace had brought up, which I was so glad he did, the reference that she makes to Hannah's song from 1 Samuel 2. And Jace, it was interesting because you said before you went into that description that it's a lot of reasons why people would say, well, yeah, this is just another thing. She's just copying something from, you know, from what's gone on before. This is not, you know, that's why the Bible is not trustworthy or whatever. It's just a repeat. But actually, it's it's just the opposite. What What, I see in that is that Mary, this teenage Jewish girl, shows you her depth of understanding of the Old Testament, that she would know this song, number one, and know it so well, and and basically incorporate that into this blessing that she gives to Elizabeth. Because remember, the setting was she shows up at Elizabeth's house to, you know, because she's just found out that she's going to have the Son of God. And she finds out from the angel that Elizabeth, who's her relative, is going to have John the Baptist, you know, in her old age. And so she goes there in this setting, and what happens? A worship um, service breaks out, you know, because Elizabeth is is given these blessings, and then Mary goes into this, this song. And so I think it's a testament to how godly she is, probably one of the reasons she was chosen to be the mother of Christ, that she would know not only Hannah's song, Jace, but also to know how much it fit into this setting and situation. Yeah, well, or Hannah's. I think it's referred to as Hannah's prayer. I think she, at she this Hannah's prayer, right? Yeah. At this time frame, I think it's worthy of note. Big picture. Before John the Baptist came, there is not one mention from Genesis to Malachi. Not one word about baptism in water, being baptized in water. The closest that the Bible comes to it was Second Kings 5, and a guy by the name Naaman was told to go down there and dip himself seven times in the Jordan River, and his leprosy would leave. And he was arguing, saying, I have to cross two rivers before I get to the to the river that you spoke of. So Elisha was there, a prophet of God. But I think it's interesting that if you don't have one word about water baptism throughout the entire Old Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John was still under the law. But I think it's interesting that God would put that there and for people to argue about that once they found out that that truth. I mean, it, it has a profound effect when I'm reading this and, and I'm seeing people being baptized in water. I've never read that in the Bible, all the way from Genesis to Malachi, not one word. So just prior six months before the Son of God became came to the earth, and we're looking at their birthdays here, 
the point of both of them, even John, uh, Jesus in the last part of Matthew, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. John's already been murdered. He said, therefore, go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I think the weight, because it's never been mentioned, I think being baptized in water is part of the response to the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Matthew 6, uh, 28 Matthew 28 is good enough for me. I have all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, here's what you do. You go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I wouldn't mess with that as a human being. There's been a lot of yeah, yeah, yeah about it, but you've never heard about it, and it only came when Jesus came, and he's the one who said, go to the river and baptize them. Well, I, think I just it, think it's too simple for people to dismiss out of hand. That's my that's my well, thing. I think on it. people dismiss it, as you say, just because there there is a fundamental truth that there's nothing you can do, you know, to earn your salvation yep. or you know, it's God's grace. So in the spirit of that, I think religious people view baptism as something that you say you're doing when I think it's the exact opposite. So it's a, it's you saying, I can do nothing. It's more of a surrendered humility, act of humility where you're. It's really something done to yeah. you. I mean, his you're, you're name, gonna, his name is John the Baptist. And I'm right. like, uh, better listen to what he has to say. Well, the humility had to come first, which was John the Baptist's role. Because he, what did he do? You know, he, he was talking about repentance, so there's got to be a change and a humility that comes so that you can see and appreciate what God is is doing. So, and Mary had that spirit in verse 38, which is what we, uh, you know, we, we mentioned it when she said, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered, may it be to me as you have said. So she had that humbled spirit. But what I wanted to say in that vein, if you just read a couple things from Hannah's prayer, and and after we set this up last time, when here's a woman who has been persecuted because she couldn't have kids, and she's in a Jerry Springer type situation where there's another wife and she has kids and she's just persecuting her, and then the husband is trying to make her feel better by saying, "Well, you just need to love me. That's good enough." And so finally, she just breaks down and prays to the Lord, "Whatever your will be." You know, if you if you would give me a, a child, I would devote him to you. I'm not worried about me anymore. Of course, then what happens? She becomes pregnant. Uh, she has Samuel, who was a great prophet. And by the way, she made a vow that no razor would ever touch his head, which I thought was, yep. for our family, that was kind of like, hmm. So uh, that was a joke, but not really. So in her prayer, though, she says in verse one, my heart rejoices in the Lord and the Lord, uh, my horn, you know, her strength is lifted high. And then she says, verse two, there is no one holy like the Lord. There's no one besides you. There is no rock like like our God. And so she then gets into this idea. And I think verse six is significant. She says the Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. Well, it's the same theme that Mary does in that she realizes that the same Lord works better when we're weak. He he takes our weakness and makes it his strength, our uh, being poor and you know, makes us rich. And those who think they are something, well, they're humbled. And so it's this opposites attract that she that she said and she understands about the Lord. I mean, she goes on to say uh, in verse 9, He will guard the feet of the saints, but the wicked will be silenced in darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord, this is uh, 1 Samuel 2.10, those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. And so our last line is, he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn 
of his anointed. So you see where she's predicting. You see where she's making this prediction of what eventually, you know, would come through a similar situation. I mean, similar as in barren. She was barren. So was Elizabeth, who became the forerunner, God's supernatural work there. And then it moves to Mary, who is a virgin. This is un another step to the impossible. But Mary's song then starts off talking about her, the first couple of verses, but it's her humility. And then the rest of the song is all about him, which is proves the point that the attitude is it was not about her, but about the Lord and, and her humbling herself. So, I mean, it's, it's really a beautiful thing. It is. So we're excited about... Um one of our favorite uh, groups, Focus on the Family, uh, has a new podcast out. And uh, we've known them for a long time, uh, done a lot of things with them. We had an appearance uh, with them last year, Jace. It was the first time all the brothers had ever been on stage together with Mom and Dad and Phyllis. Yeah. I thought that was a pretty cool thing. It was. Yeah, it was a good evening. So we've known these guys a long time. Uh, they go way back in ministry. If you've never uh, heard of Focus on the Family, you've probably been under a rock somewhere. This goes back to James Dobson, that's Jim Daly. And they've got a new podcast called Crazy Little Thing Called Marriage, which I like the title. Was it? Is that a what's Crazy Little Thing Called Love? Is that a yeah, I think Queen that's song? That. Yeah. So that's takeoff of that, which is good. Uh, they, they said, be sure don't call your wife crazy. It's just the marriage. Uh, it's a podcast for married couples in the middle of uh, the messy moments. Sometimes you need to laugh. Sometimes you need clear, practical, biblical advice. And uh, they've actually got a great couple that I know well, Dr. Greg and Aaron Smalley are the ones that do it. They've reached millions of couples through their counseling practice, written several books. Every episode hits on something really relevant like communication, intimacy, dealing with money issues, daily stress, you name it, they're going to talk about it. So new episodes of Crazy Little Thing Called Marriage drop every Monday. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite listening source. That's Crazy Little Thing Called Marriage. Download it now. Another thing I wanted to point out, so this is where I wanted to go in the last overtime I never got to. I, I don't think there's any accident here that Mary is bringing, and this kind of goes to dad's point too, that, that Mary is talking about a transitional, not only figure, but period of time. Because Jace, when, when Hannah, when Samuel comes along, it's just historically, it's the end of the judges period. Samuel technically is the last of the judges, but he's also the first of the prophets. And so he's, he's what we would call a transitional figure in Israel's history. And then the reason, so so obviously he was unique, and God knew that, and he, even his his the way he came to be and his dedication is unique, and that's why he had the Nazarite vow that you mentioned, Jason. So there was something special about Samuel. the The priesthood had become very corrupt, and you see that from the situa situation with Eli and the rest of that story there, because there's more Jerry Springer we didn't even get to, Jason, on the backside of that, and so. Samuel now is is bringing integrity back to this. So he's this transitional figure, and now he's the one, by the way, Samuel, that will anoint David, who will be the, the God's only chosen king that he will establish a covenant with for a kingdom forever that guess who comes through that on the physical side? Jesus. So you see that there's more than just a passing interest in this story. This is a transitional era is what's happening. Which is what you'll, which is even prophesied here, right, in this, that he, in this particular section of Scripture, that Jesus will be a Davidic king, a yes. king in the line of... I mean, it actually says that, so there's like a direct tying to to this story. I think that's what's interesting as we as you think about this, and as we move forward, we're going to see this a lot more. And there's like these two, there's a vein in the Old Testament that it is undeniable. The, the prophetic vein of the Old Testament with a continual, it's like, it's just like one big finger just pointing, you know, to the, to the person of Jesus who is coming to incarnate, God incarnate in a, in a baby. I mean, and, it's it's and really Jesus, profound. And, and Jesus is a baby, a child. 
But he was saying once he got about 30 years old, from that time on, Jesus began to explain that, and he, and he just points out his, will be his enemies. He'll suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, the most religious people uh, <laughs> that there should have been was the ones that had been there from the beginning going all the way back to the establishment of law and the temple worship and all of that. But that's where all the trouble came from when he got here. That's where all the, that, that, it was emanating from the very thing he had built. And it's a sad thing that, that, that they were so uh, pretty well, nearly all of them, not all of them, there's a few, that we're reading about, we've had been looking at this, but uh, it, it's a tough, tough time to, to, to enter the world. When Mary had that child, y'all agree? Oh yeah, and yet, and yet, I mean, they tried insight. to kill him to begin with. They're trying to get rid of him. Well, so, right, which we read well, about we'll that in Matthew that. four. When yeah. they had so, but to your point, Dad, not only is it so incredible, but that Mary's insight into that because when you look at like yeah. the verse. At verse let's forty, just, let's 49. just read it. Can we just yeah, read our song? Yeah, read read forty six through forty nine, especially that first three. So verses. this is after this, you know, consultation with Elizabeth. So they had this, and we we talked about the power of that, you know, and I mean, we made a few illustrations of that. But you know, because people they want to find out their purpose and what God wants me to do, and a lot of people, it's like, well, I feel like God's leading me to do this, and but the way this is designed. Is here's Mary who, when she visits Elizabeth, which was the angel's indirect recommendation, and and it's like the big picture hit her, and, and she got it with this time with Elizabeth, which she winds up staying there, you know, three months with. And by her. the way, John the Baptist didn't last long before they killed him. Well, exactly. So Mary. She she sings this song, and it says, verse 46, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, which we mentioned. She's acknowledging that you know there's a God, and she's not it, and that she needs a Savior like everyone else. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. So the first couple of verses, she does acknowledge how God has chosen her, which I think is fine. But in her response is humility. But then watch the shift here about his and he has. Watch. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Yeah, no, that's powerful. And so I, I want to make the point back up when she said, from now on all generations will call me blessed. And again, you're right, Jay, she's saying it humbly because she says, for the mighty one has done great things for me. So she's not saying it's anything she's done. She realizes that. But but here's my point. She understood in that moment as a teenage girl, as she's now quoting some, some thoughts from Hannah's prayer, the significance of this moment. Because she says, from now on, generations will look back and say, this is a blessed woman because of what happened here. And she was exactly right. And they still done it. Do people mm -hmm. maybe do it to excess and beyond what she would be comfortable with and her humility? Of course. But what she's saying is in the significance of the transition, because Zach said this earlier, you can't, the transition here of John the Baptist, then to Jesus and everything it meant to law and everything that had been done up to this point is huge. But I'm just amazed that this teenage girl got it and then references it in this song of praise. Oh, she understands deep. that. It's, yeah. it's unbelievable. The standoff at the border is heating up between...
government. Politicians will never let a crisis go to waste. We have been invaded. The crisis is being used by Republicans as a photo op, by the Democrats to expand their voting base. More than 85% of everybody reaching the border is coming in. That's the definition of an open border. Just down the road, you can get in no problem, no Humvees, no armed guards. What people don't realize is there's a way around everything. The Blaze Originals team traveled to the Texas border, ground zero of the most controversial news story of 2024. With some experts estimating over 4 million border crossings in 2023 alone, we embedded with the Take Our Border Back convoy to investigate. What if the entire narrative you thought you knew was a lie? Go watch the real story of Texas versus the feds and how the elites use the border crisis against us by visiting realbordercrisis.com and use code TEXAS for $30 off an annual subscription to Blaze TV. Theologically, it's just incredible that what Hannah got and what Mary got, and even when I brought up those two verses in Luke 11, where the you know the the mom who recognized how Jesus was bringing out the best in women in general, especially in that culture, you know, when she was like, "Bless the mother who <laughs> who brought you here," and he was like, "No, you be blessed for those who hear the word and obey it." Some they, were, all in, were so impacted that they began to worship her. Well, exactly, and they still do. And they still do. But my point is that what they got from a theological standpoint is so deep is that the Lord brings everyone to the same position, and I mean everyone. No matter what you have, where you're from, what you look like, at what part of history you were living. And to those who think they're something, what we call the elite on the planet, who we, we, we define success as money and power and fame. Oh, they're, they're humbled. They all wind up humble. And you say, well, no, that's not. Oh yeah. At some point when that may be at their funeral, or it may be, you know, when they have some disease or they're, but every one of those who put their faith and, and trust in anything of this world, we know what, how it's going to end. They're all going to be humbled. And for those who are all humbled, they're raised through, through Jesus because he really works well with those who realize their human state. And so you have all these, uh, these little sayings that come up where this, the upside-down nature of the kingdom happens and you see that in both the prayer and I mean the song and the prayer and it's really uh it's quite fascinating. Yeah he has helped his servant Israel remembering to be merciful. Be merciful to Abraham. Yeah. And his descendants. Yeah, well, and you see that in Mary's song and in Zachariah's song this they they're they're realizing they were not being merciful in their attitude toward Jesus Christ. They're realizing that he is the fulfillment of everything that was done in their history and, and their That's foundation, right. which is incredible. Well, I would ar I would argue that you're going to see it throughout the rest of the the you know, Luke's gospel. You're going to see this same exact or these same exact themes emerge over and over. And over again, and so you you look at this virgin birth, for example, is is a is one of the first examples in his gospel because we're only in the first chapter. But um, but it continues. But ask the question: Why Mary? Why a thirteen year old non noble virgin? Like why? Like why? And I think her song answers the question. And it and it's one word: He. You know, he has done mighty yep. deeds. He has scattered those. He has brought down. He has filled the. You know, he has filled the, hung, the the hungry. He yep. has given help. Uh, he spoke to our forefathers. I mean, you you look at Mary, and and so when 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 God, um, goes into a vessel like like a Mary, the most unlikely of people, the most un the the, the, the that's the upside down nature of it. The upside upside down nature of God's kingdom is that He moves in the places where. Where humans can't say, "Oh, yeah, of course that makes sense." I mean, there was already power there. There was already. He doesn't go to those places. He goes into Mary, a thirteen-year-old virgin uh, bride, a uh, bride to be that was engaged. Like he goes there, 
And the reason why is because because when it's all said and done, the only answer that can be left standing is he. He's the reason. He's preeminent. He is he is all in all, beginning in Alpha Omega. And we'll see that theme just continue throughout Scripture, which is when you talk, Jace, you talk about how Christ he equalizes everybody. It's almost it's not even like a it does I don't even think it's like a a decision that it's like okay I'm going to make everybody equal. I think his arrival, he's so big and powerful, and he's God that his arrival, when we're in his presence, we're just nobody can like say I'm better than the other because we're comparing ourselves to a holy God. It's, it reminds me of this, you know, our little country basketball school in North Florida when I was growing up. We had a guy on our team that was really, really, really good. And when it came to like PE class and our little town of 2,000 people, I mean, he was a stud. But then when we went and played FAMU High School in Tallahassee with a lot better players, he didn't look that we, – we all, we all were horrible on the team versus those guys. It's like that on steroids. When we go up against a holy God, all of us, no matter how big or small you are, we just don't measure up against the God who can create the cosmos. And the incarnation of that God – in Jesus is a realization of that ultimately. It's the same thing I said when in Luke five when Peter realizes who Jesus is. Remember when he has the miraculous catch? Yeah. And he looks up at Jesus, he says, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Yeah. I mean, what he's doing in that moment is recognizing I don't need to be near you. You don't need to be near me. I mean, it but it's such a humbling thing for Peter to recognize in that moment how great God is. Yeah, How great I, Jesus. I think that's why in these stories uh, that we're reading here, true stories, um, there's certain themes that just kind of run together. One is is God's presence. Mm-hmm. You know, God's with us. Emmanuel, He's coming. God's coming. Fear. You know, in His presence, mm-hmm. there's a humble a humbleness there. Embrace and grace. You know, and acceptance. And in, in light of that, I mean, there, these themes continue. And I think for us, what's in it for us is is we we have to we have to recognize to fully be human and to live a true human experience as you were intended to live and to find what Phil calls peace of mind. It's got to be a recognition that you are a creature. Yeah, you have to recognize that. And if, and when you fight against that, you're going to continue to be met with futility and frustration because you're never going to not be a creature. You're never going to be the creator, and so like like, and we don't want to be the creator. We 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 get, we we want to be grafted into God's flow, and so we have to recognize we're the creature. He's the creator, and we just need to get in His flow, in His direction, which is what Mary got, obviously. And that's what I when I read her song, it's like she got that, she understood that. We quoted this before in Hebrews 2, this whole setting of Jesus coming here shows us that we can be unoffendable about what you just said, Zach, about being the creature and the creator, because Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every way to understand who we are. And so God, in his humility, said, I'm going to become one of you and be made like you in every single way that you're made. So, I mean, if if we can realize that he took on our flesh to be like us, to show us that he could do what we couldn't so we can trust in him, why would we be offended? Yeah. I mean, it's it's all the more reason to follow him. Well, it's why we can, it's why we can even do like, tell this, like, Phil, your story. The reason why we can tell your story, even though you're embarrassed about it, even though you're ashamed about it, the reason why we can do, do the movie The Blind is because of this, because you recognized early on in our discussions that next to a holy God, I mean, the apostle Paul, you mentioned in the last podcast, Peter, not good dudes, but all of us, all have sinned, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So like if, like the movie, for example, we're not highlighting your sin, so to speak. We're actually highlighting the grace of God and the mm-hmm. mercy of God. Yep. Yeah. Well, and, even and, in uh, Hannah's, Prayers. That helps. She was thankful for her sorrow because it led her to a place to understand that God could lift her up. And so, which is, you know, look, that's the hardest thing 
to do is to be thankful for the difficulty. But her perspective had changed, and only then did she trust God completely, and so she was actually thankful in that moment. So it's a hard place to get in life, but that's where God does his best work, you know. And that's that answers the fundamental question, you know, why is there pain and suffering in the world? Well, you realize that we're helpless in need of a Savior. But you made a good point when you said she had come to peace with the idea that if she didn't have children, she was okay about it. And I think that's the real point. So so a lot of, a lot of times people look at this and they say, oh, well, then, then she gets pregnant. But no, it's she was really either way. If she exactly. had never gotten pregnant— she had already found peace in her Yeah, the healing had, had occurred. She was no longer downcast is what it says. Correct. And even in Mary, which, I mean, Zach made reference. I've never heard that she was 13. I thought I heard 15, but I'm not it sure. It could be any of those. Yeah, I mean, she I was 13. I don't, yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't know what age she was. I don't, I, I was she I was, was yeah, a teenager. I heard you say that, sure. but, yeah. and I. Yeah, she was a teenager of some sort. So a lot of people then. I mean, well, that, well let, me, let, me, let me say this. I could be wrong. Yeah, we, I mean, she was definitely a young girl, and, you know, that makes people, you know, uncomfortable because, well, I mean, what is she doing? Are y'all, you know, sanctioning this? But it, she was a virgin, and in that culture, for from a religious perspective, which you got to remember, Jesus is, has come to fulfill the old law because they couldn't keep it. In that culture— to have that scenario where you have to deal with the shame and disgrace of an unmarried young woman being or young girl being disgraced that you would never pick, if you were just making this up you would never pick that scenario from that world view as the way for God to enter because they viewed that as disgrace, which is why her and Elizabeth were in hiding. How do you explain this? Because nobody's getting past the fact that you're, however old you are, a teenager, and that you're pregnant and not married. So all the religious people, they're not looking at this as something good. And that's why I think God did it. <laughs> I mean, because yeah. he was coming to dismantle what we view as righteousness and religiosity or however you want to deem that, that somehow or another you can be good enough to warrant salvation on your own. You can't. And so in both of these cases, even though, uh, you know, Mary, I mean, this was just thrust upon her. She was willing to take the disgrace over something that she did not do. She, she, which other people would say, well, that's impossible. So that's why she hid out with Elizabeth, because it was just simply too much for religious people to wrap their head around. And even today, it makes people uncomfortable on why God did this. They told Jesus when he said, the truth will set you free. And he said, we don't need to be set free. We're not prisoners of anyone. Exactly. But they were. Which, yeah, well, yeah, and they said they said we've never been a slave to anybody. But but I'm, and every time I read that the, the, those interactions Jesus had, I'm like, but but you were, and even in the current moment, I mean, yeah. they were in essence slaves of Rome. I mean, they weren't slaves, but they were under the Roman domination. Yeah. And you know, I th- I, but I think that you know, you think about about this whole context here of of what. Christ is bringing it. It really, it truly is a, a liberation. And, and you may think, oh, I don't need to be liberated because I mean, that's we run into that today. I don't need to be liberated. I don't need, I don't need this. Why? I don't need to be to recognize myself as a creature and and put myself under the authority of, of some supreme being. Why would I? Why would I do that? And the answer to me is that verse. What does it profit a man? if he gains the whole world yet loses his soul. And you think, man, what if you do just go out there and you accomplish and accumulate as much as you possibly can? What if you build the largest kingdom that the world has ever known? Like you're the king, you're the biggest power broker, and somehow you've, which has never been done, someone's, no one's ever dominated the entire earth. But what if you built that kind of empire? You say, well, in the end, you're going to be old. You're going to be 90 years old one day in a in a in a in hospice care, 
and someone's going to be feeding you your, the, your last meal through through applesauce through a, with a spoon or a straw. I mean, that's what's coming for you. And I, so I think like even even in the best case scenario of what we could accomplish, if we just said, no, nah, we're going to be the creator. In the best case scenario, it just still seems so pointless and futile in the grand scheme of the existence of the entire world that yep. I just had a little little dot. There's got to be more. And I, I think that's what why what Christ came to do was so effective because he is more, and it gives us a fuller context of how we live. Yeah. I had to put it well covered. So then when it got down to Zechariah and— you know, he has this moment where he gives in, says, yeah, his name is going to be John, which means, you know, the Lord is full of grace or, or gracious. Well, then he sings a song that basically goes into, you know, three sections about John the Baptist role. And the first one is that he would be a part in bringing and pointing people to the Lord, and it would give the nation of Israel uh, freedom to worship, you know, from their enemies. And I'm not sure he understood that completely at this time, but I mean, maybe he did, but he starts talking about that in verse or, or singing about that in 68, when he says, praise to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David, uh, so like 71, we get salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant that he had sworn to Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So he had concluded that no matter what happened, this Jesus coming to earth was going to be the point of reference for them to be able to have the freedom to worship despite what's going on. And then he goes to you know his current role when he says, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, speaking of John the Baptist, his son, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, you know, speaking of Jesus, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And then the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the desert or the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel, speaking of John the Baptist. So it's quite interesting to see those two responses and and the connection they have, realizing this was God's scheme of redemption, you know, through them. Yeah, and it's the perfect way to tie that up. And I guess for us as well, because we're out of time. Uh, but I do want to talk about that a little more for sure in overtime, um, Zechariah's song, because it really is powerful to show that one-two punch of the Savior and also the forerunner, which we've been talking about, which is what Luke lays out in the first chapter. Uh, if you want to follow us over, it's blazetv.com slash unashamed. Uh, before we head out, just a reminder, the week of May 7th, uh, we're going to not be releasing uh, Unashamed anymore on Sundays. Instead, it'll be on Thursdays is when that uh, podcast will release. So it'll be Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday will be our lineup of releases. So be sure to make a note of that, and uh, we'll see you in overtime. Thanks for listening to the Unashamed Podcast. Help us out by rating us on iTunes. And don't miss an episode by subscribing on YouTube and be sure to click that little bell to get notified about new episodes. And for even more content that you won't get anywhere else, subscribe to Blaze TV at blazetv.com slash unashamed.